Okay, good morning. If you could take your seats, come on in. How many of you took a while to uh, get scraped out this morning? How many of you have like a quarter inch of ice, you think, maybe? You think? How many of you have more? Okay, one person, buddy. You win the prize today. We'll give you an ice scraper. Um, I don't know how many of you have ever thought that you've been having a bad day. Anybody ever have a bad day where it just seems like no matter what you put your hand to, it goes wrong? Yeah. Um, I know we all think that, but I would like to give you a couple of accounts of people who I think really had bad days. So just kind of listen for a second. A fierce gust of wind blew 45-year-old Vittorio Luis's car into a river near Naples, Italy in 1983. These are true stories, by the way. He managed to break a window, climb out, and swim to shore, where a tree blew over and killed him. That's a bad day. Um, Mike Stewart, who was 31 years old from Dallas, Texas, was filming a movie in 1983 on the dangers of low bridges. And the truck he was standing on was going slowly down the highway, went under a low bridge, and he got hit and was killed instantly. That's a bad day. Walter Hollis, a 26-year-old store clerk in Leeds, England, was so afraid of dentists that in 1979, he asked a fellow worker to help him to cure a toothache by punching him in the jaw. The punch caused Hollis to fall down, hitting his head on the concrete floor, and he died of a fractured skull. I love these stories. It helps me feel better about myself. George Swartz, owner of a factory in Providence, Rhode Island, narrowly escaped death when a 1983 blast flattened his entire factory. Everything went to the ground except for one wall. After treatment for his injuries, he returned to the scene to search for files, hoping to open again. The remaining wall collapsed on him, killing him. Don't you love these stories? Depressed since he couldn't find a job, 42-year-old Romolo Ribola sat in his kitchen in Pisa, Italy with a gun in his hand threatening to kill himself in 1981. His wife pled with him not to do it and after about an hour, he burst into tears, threw the gun down to the floor. It went off and killed his wife. In 1983, a Mrs. Carson of Lake Coshocqua, New York. Anybody know where Lake Coshocqua is? I've never heard of it was laid out in her coffin, presumed dead of a heart disease. As mourners watched, she suddenly sat up. Her daughter dropped dead of a heart attack. That was 1983. Now, don't you feel better about your bad day today? None of them compare with those. Um, I want to actually begin this morning by uh, a sign that you sometimes see in stores. And it says something like this. Check cashing policy. And then I like this one. It says, to err as human, to forgive will cost $10. Now, we look at that as a humorous sign, but I think sometimes that's more true than what we want to admit. Sometimes we want to charge people in order for them to receive forgiveness. Last week I talked to you briefly about loss. How we all experience loss at one level or another and that every loss demands an appropriate and proportional amount of grief. Every loss demands some level of grief. And I want to jump off of that this morning, and I want to begin to talk to you this morning about forgiveness 
or in some cases, unforgiveness, because the truth is that many of us have experienced losses for which we have not forgiven those who are responsible. Many of us have a hard time forgiving ourselves, first of all. We have a hard time being able to deal with the fact that we have like this warped record in our mind that goes over and over and again, playing the record of how many things we have done wrong, of all of our failures and all of our losses. We hear words like failure, flop, disappointment, no good. And the list could go on and on of things that we know about ourselves that make it difficult for us to actually forgive ourselves. Um, if you think about the people in the Bible for just a little bit, little bit, I'm wondering like what jumps into your mind when I say the name Lot. What jumps into your mind? Salt, trauma. What else? His wife. What about his wife? Who said that? What about his wife? She was told not to look back and turned into a pillar of salt. What else? Hedonistic. The first thought that came to my mind when I thought of Lot was the fact that here's a guy who offers his two daughters to a marauding crowd in order to protect his two angelic visitors, and that crowd wanted to sexually defile them, so instead he says, don't hurt them, I will give you my daughters. Sounds like a great father, doesn't it? Or, what comes into your mind when you think of Samson? Pardon? Hair. Okay, I never thought of that, but thank you. Muscles. Delilah. Anything else? Revenge, pride. This was a guy who was a womanizer through and through. He had one, that didn't work out, he just leaves her on the wayside, and he goes after another one. And he says to his parents, give me her or I'll die. This guy was a womaner, a womanizer. I mean, he, just, he wanted to have his pleasure above all things. What do you think about when you think about the name Sarah? Pardon? Your wife. Okay. What? Okay, what else? Longevity, laughter, incredulity. That means she had a hard time believing what God was saying. She lied. How about the fact that this is a woman who was married to a man and she couldn't have children, so she gives her husband to her servant in order they can have a child. Then when they have a child, she gets mad at the husband for doing what she asked him to do. If that's not the picture of a dripping wife, I don't know what is. But the irony is that these people, and so many more, Moses, David, David who is a murderer and an adulterer, all of these people appear in the hall of faith. All of them are declared by Lot, who wanted to hand his daughters over. God calls Lot righteous Lot. And Sarah, he calls submissive Sarah and says, young woman, you ought to follow her example. And I say that to you to say that often we think ill of ourselves. We judge ourselves based upon the mistakes we have made. Some of those mistakes are years ago. And we're still defining ourselves by those mistakes. We're still wearing that label of what we did or what we used to be in our mind. And we forget the fact that God is far kinder than we are. God labels us far better 
than what we would label ourselves. Some people have a hard time forgiving themselves. Others have a hard time forgiving other people. People who have done them wrong. Um, I think about a friend of mine. If I said the name, you would even know him. Uh, he got a bad haircut one day at the mall. I don't know how many of you guys go to the mall to get your haircut, but he did. He went to a mall, went to a barber there, or to a hair salon, got a bad haircut, and from that moment on, he would tell you to this day, every time he walks in that mall past that hair salon, he growls. He does. He'll walk by. We've been walking with him. Kayra and I have walked with him, and as we're walking by, he'll go, Aah! He can't forgive that fact that they gave him a bad haircut. And some people have a hard time just forgiving others who do them wrong. <coughs> they, they live with this philosophy. Fool me once, shame on me. Fool, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. That's how they live their lives. And, and for some people, it, it's like uh, they have trouble forgiving people who are driving too slow in front of them. Or cut in front of them in traffic. That's, that's how small our world can get that we're going to become offended by those kinds of very simple, mundane things. But then there are some of us who have been actually hurt, really hurt by other people who have betrayed us. Like the person who said, I will choose you forever to be my spouse through sickness and in health till death do us part and then they find somebody else and they divorce us. Or the very one who is supposed to be the best protector, a father or a mother, actually ends up being the one who abuses us. And those wounds can be very, very hard to forgive. So we have a hard time forgiving ourselves. We have a hard time forgiving others. And sometimes there are people who even have a hard time forgiving God because they don't like how God has allowed things to happen in their lives. Uh, when I got saved, I don't know about you, but when I got saved, I had this uh, mindset. My mindset was very simply that once I became a Christian, all of my life would get better and I'd have no more problems. It was almost said to me directly that way. Now you'll be a good boy and you won't have any more problems. Well, i got to tell you, being a Christian doesn't mean you don't have problems. It doesn't mean you won't go through things. It doesn't mean you won't struggle. It doesn't mean you won't have challenges. But there are people in this life who get offended with God because of how He's allowed things to happen in their lives. They get offended and they can't forgive God. And the truth is, when it comes to ourselves, forgiving ourselves, we can go get counseling, we can actually get some insight, and we can actually come to a better place and get some healing. When it comes to other people, you can actually even take them to court and feel like you can get some justice for it. But what do you do when you've got God in heaven who you can't see and you can't touch? when you feel like He's done you wrong. And so forgiveness can be a really hard thing. If you have your Bibles, I, I would ask you to open up to Matthew 18. I want to kind of look at this section of Scripture today. I believe that unforgiveness eats at our guts inside. It, it, it depletes any sense of joy or peace that we can have. Uh, it's exhausting. And it leaves us in a prison that feels like there's no escape. Matthew 18, and if I were to title this sermon, I would call it, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And you'll see why in a minute as we read together. Verse 23, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wants to settle accounts with his sermon. Now, 
In this portion, Jesus is telling us a story. He's been talking about forgiveness and unforgiveness. He's been talking about offenses. And then, in order to illustrate it, He tells us this story. It's not uncommon at all for Him to tell stories. Now, this story harkens back two verses previous to verse 21, if you have your Bible, where Peter, hearing Him talk about offenses and forgiveness, Peter asked this question, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? So that becomes the precursor to the story that we just started to read in verse 23 that Jesus is telling. And I want you to get a couple things in your mind. I believe that uh, Peter asked that question with a certain tone and a certain attitude. How many of you parents have ever asked your kids to do something like... um, Let's say you asked your kids, I want you to clean the van. We've got a lot of families, we've got a lot of vans. And you say to your kids, okay, it's time to clean the van. The van has become toxic. It's become, it's like they've got this sticker they put all over our van from the health department saying, dangerous, do not enter. So it's time for us to finally clean our van. And you say to your kids, all right, kids, time to clean the van. Get out there, clean the van, I'll be right out and I'll help you. And invariably, your kids will come back with, Do you mean we have to clean the whole van? Do we have to vacuum too? And don't tell me we have to wash the windows. And just the way they say it, they know that your answer is going to make their life miserable. And I suspect that's exactly how Peter asked that question. Lord, you said that I have to forgive. How many times do I have to forgive? In other words, he's looking for what's the bare minimum I can do to get away with this? What can I do to do the minimum requirements in order that I can fulfill your unreasonable demands to forgive? And that's how I see him asking that. But the second thing I think you need to see is that when Peter asks that question, he adds a little bit of an answer. He says, up to seven times? Now you need to understand that in that day and age, the religious leaders of the day, taken from the Old Testament prophetic book of Amos, have determined that God forgives a person three times, but on the fourth offense there's no forgiveness. Then it's vengeance. Then it's discipline. And they felt that no one had a right to be more gracious than God, so they had determined, and this became a rule in Israel, you should forgive a person three times and no more. So on the fourth event, no more. Four strikes and you're out. Well, Peter takes that three forgivenesses and he doubles it. And then he adds one more. So you've got to hear that he did this with a little bit of smug superiority. It's like, Jesus is going to be really impressed with me. Look at how good I'm doing. I'm taking what the religious leaders, because I know Jesus is always saying those religious leaders are like snakes. They don't really count. And I've doubled it and I've added one. He's going to be so proud of me. What he doesn't realize is the second he puts a number on it, he has limited the grace of God. And here's my statement for you. If you get nothing else out of this whole teaching, get this. If you limit the grace of God on any level for anybody else, you have in fact limited the grace of God for yourself. Because any limitation means that you're limited as well. This is about the fact that the grace of God knows no bounds. It knows no limitations. And Jesus is pointing that. He says, no, I I don't say unto you seven times. I say 70 times seven. In other words, 
keep going. You, you're going to do so many that you're going to lose count. I walk the track at uh, the Y uh, sometimes. And I know that 15 times around is a mile. How many of you guys know that? 15 times around the track is a mile. Well, if you're going to do a lot of miles, I don't have enough fingers and toes. So I take a little clicker with me. And I click every time. It's, it's actually called the herd clicker. I got it down at Central Tractor. You know, it's like if you're counting animals, you count when you're doing, as they're going through. So that, that's what I do. Every lap I click. But I even forget that. And that's really what Jesus is saying. You ought to have such a heart to forgive that you even forget how many times you've done it because it doesn't matter. Because my grace is unlimited. Um, he wanted to get the minimum. He wanted to do the bare minimum. And then he thought he would be a little bit altruistic, a little bit kind and say, okay, I'll do it seven times. Not realizing that he was actually limiting the grace of God. Now, read on for a minute. We're in chapter 18. Jesus said, I do not say to you up to seven times, verse 22, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven, and whenever Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, he's really talking about our way of life with God. He's talking about the Christian life. So, therefore, the Christian life is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But he was not able to pay his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. Now, a couple of things. It says there was a king. In this particular parable, the king is represented by God. And he had a servant who owed him a debt. You are that servant. He's telling a story to the disciples, to Peter, helping to help him to understand what forgiveness and grace is all about. And it says, a man owed a debt of 10,000 talents. Now, do any of your Bibles have a, another modern day equivalent there? Maybe in your small notes. Any of your Bibles have anything else there? What do you have, Bill? $10 million. Anybody else? 15 years' wages. Wow, okay. Anybody else? No, no, that's later on in the story. That's later on in the story, but we're going to get to that. Thank you. Millions of dollars, it says. Okay. I went into commentaries to check on how much is 10,000 talents. I went to dictionaries. I found a gamut of answers. It went anywhere from some said $60 million, some $40 million, some $20 million. But the lowest figure that I had found was $6 million. $6 million he owed. Hence, every good book has to have a title and a subtitle. So mine was, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? My subtitle is The $6 Million Man. So, we are the $6 million people who owe a debt that is that high. I don't know how. How does a person accrue a debt of $6 million? Maybe ask President Trump. I don't know. But I know he owed a huge debt that he could not pay. And his answer in verse 26 was, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Now, if you owed $6 million, how long do you think it would take you to pay that off? I did some figuring because I like to know these things. According to the Wyoming County Community Profile webpage, which is set up with demographics for our county, 
according to that webpage, the average per capita income, in other words, the average citizen, one citizen in Wyoming County, the average income is $24,429. $24,428. Don't know where that came from. I got 29. Change that to nine. Um, so that we're actually accurate to the website. At the rate of income, paying that entire salary of $24,428 plus one more dollar, taking that whole salary, paying the whole thing every week, every month, every year until your debt is paid off, it would take you 245.609726 years. That's how long it would take you. Now, I don't know too many people who are actually making $24,000. Most make a little bit more. So I thought, well, let's be reasonable. I don't know what the average income really is within the family, but let's call it $50,000. Somebody makes $50,000 in a year. And that can be a lot of money for you or for somebody else. It's like, no, that's a pittance. But let's just say $50,000. If you were to take that $50,000 salary and you were to pay it in in its entirety every single year until that debt's paid off, it would take you 120 years. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't have an anticipation of living 120 years. That would be double my lifespan. By the way, thank you all so much for the party last week. Um, my wife asked me if I knew. I didn't have a clue until Saturday when I came up and on the door was written a sign saying no pastors allowed. But I knew that Pastor John had already been in there because he came down and got some stuff out of my office to take up there. So I'm thinking, who else does it mean? That's when I had my suspicion. But thank you all so much. It meant more than you could know. So, this guy's solution though for this debt that would take him over a hundred years to pay off his solution was, have patience and I will pay it off. But this king, this wise, benevolent king, this gracious king says, if I throw you in jail, you're not going to be able to earn a living. So that's not going to help any. If I throw your kids in jail, that's not going to help them any. And if I take all of your animals, all of your property, you don't have enough to even make a dent in this debt. So instead, he does an amazing thing and it says he forgave him his entire debt. Now, again, I've already told you, the king represented is God. The servant represented with this unpayable debt is you. Think about the debt that you owe God. If everything that you have ever done wrong had a dollar amount, let, let's, let's pick a low dollar amount, like $10, $20, something like that. But everything that you have ever done wrong would be added up on an eternal calculator. Everything you've ever did wrong. Everything you did wrong. Everything you didn't do that you should have done. Everything you've said wrong. How many of you have ever said anything wrong to your spouse? Just in one moment. You, you, I noticed, by the way, it was more ladies raising their hands. Guys, it's okay to admit that you guys, come on. In one moment of frustration, you snap. Everything you've said wrong. Everything you should have said that you didn't say. Like when you should have said to your spouse, thank you so much, that was a great meal. You thought it in your mind, but you just felt, oh, I don't need to say that. She knows. He knows. Whoever does the cooking in your family. Everything you've not done, everything you have done, everything you've said, everything you haven't said, everything you've thought. Everything you've thought. 
Every thought in your mind that was unholy, every one of them have a dollar amount. Our debt would be so high it would be unbelievable. Because every one of us have stupid stuff pass through your mind. It's like my mind has a circus going on in there sometimes. And it's part of my job is to remember what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. Take captive every thought. And you are the same. So we owed the, the song that we used to sing years ago. I put it up here just so you could see it. It said something like this. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace, the whole day long. Christ Jesus paid the debt that I could never pay. So, what I want you to catch this morning is the core of the Christian life. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven. That's the Christian life. The core of the Christian life always comes back to this as our motivation, which is, He first forgave us. He forgave us a debt we could never pay. Or John puts it this way, we love because He first loved us. To some extent, the level of your forgiveness of others, the level of your forgiveness of yourself has to do with, to some extent, the measurement of your awareness of your own forgiveness. And I've tried to say it a lot of ways over the years. I've been here for 26, 27 years now, and I've said it all different kinds of ways. And I was thinking even during early morning prayer. It's like people come in and they want something new. They want something fresh, something never thought of. But the truth is we rarely even do all that we already know. So having somebody say something uniquely might help us think about it a little bit differently, but the truth is, the core of it is, we have to recognize this truth. And I put it this way. I, I put it up here on the screen for you. If we're having trouble forgiving someone, at the core, it's because we believe that what they have done is worse than anything we've ever done, and the measure of our sin against God which so desperately needed His forgiveness is less than their sin against us. In other words, when we're having trouble forgiving somebody, what that's saying is what they've done is worse than anything I've done. What they've done is even worse than my sin against God. Because God says, as you have been forgiven, you need to forgive. You've been forgiven much. Can you forgive much? If you're having trouble forgiving yourself, at core, what that means is that the sacrifice that Jesus has made in paying the debt for you, you feel like it's not enough. You're unique. Your situation is different. You need a greater sacrifice than Jesus. You need something more. You need to somehow pay the debt yourself. And believe me, this is something that I personally deal with on a regular basis. I look at all of my lack all of my sin over the years. I look at it all. And I think, okay, maybe if I can make it up a little bit. If I can do something good, if I can be nice, somehow that'll make it. But what that does is it does an injustice to the sacrifice that Jesus has already paid. Look at the rest of the Scripture story though. Verse 28. But that servant went out, that servant who had been forgiven a debt that was unpayable, he went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet, begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him in prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. 
Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to each of you from his heart, if from his heart he does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Now, a couple of similarities here, real quickly. They both owed a debt. We see that. The just deserts for their debt was jail. We see that. They both said, have patience and I will pay you all. But that's about where the similarities end. They both owed a debt. But one owed a debt that was a bare minimum of $6 million. The other one owed 100 denarii. How much does your Bible say 100 denarii is? Bill, has yours got it? Yours doesn't have it. What? Day's wages? Anybody else? I saw anywhere the gamut from $1,000 to $10. I would say the vast majority of the commentators and the Bible dictionary said he owed between $10 and $20. So his debt, with careful planning, with savings, was manageable. He could have paid it. But once you throw him in prison, how is he going to pay anything? But this guy would not forgive him, even though his debt was so small. And God's judgment upon the first servant who had been forgiven much is he called him wicked. The word wicked, by the way, in the Greek, is the word from which we get our word wicker, which means twisted or bent, like wicker furniture. He says, you wicked, you, you twisted or bent servant. There's something wrong with somebody who will be forgiven much. He has a bent that is bad that you won't then forgive. Or another word that is actually translated that way is the word perverse. Perverted. There is something perverted about somebody who could be forgiven much but won't then forgive. Uh, it's kind of like thinking about this way. Using the term Christian and unforgiveness is oxymoronic in nature. Those words just don't go together. We are called to forgive as our Father has forgiven. And then it says, Jesus said that wicked servant will be turned over to the torturers. Or some of your translations might say tormentors. What are the tormentors? It's not that God is going to torture him or torment him. It's that God lets him have what he wants. If you will live life with unforgiveness in your soul, you're going to have some consequences inside of you. You're going to have things like fear and guilt. You're going to have ulcers and headaches that are going to be a normal part of it. Why? Because you're not sure that anybody ever is getting their just desserts and that you're receiving your just benefits because you're not willing to turn that person over to the justice of God. You want to keep it in your own hands. And all of those negative things have a divine prescription. It's called forgiveness. Forgiving people. Um, all of us have had opportunity to get offended, every single one of us, by things people have done wrong to us, things people have said, things that we think aren't right. All of us have that. And we can walk around with anger and judgment in our heart, and we can say to them, you know, I'm not going to forgive until you come and ask for forgiveness. Or we can even say when they come, no, what you've done is too bad, I will never forgive you. But the truth is, what you're doing in that moment is you're taking that person and you're holding them in your puny little hands, with your puny understanding of justice, and you think you can handle them better than God. But while you're holding them, you have taken them out of the hand of God so that God can't do anything. God says, only one judgment is allowed. It's either mine or yours. I can handle it better than you, and if you'll let me handle it, I will handle it. But if you handle it, it's all on you. 
And I have to tell you, I've watched over the years that God does far better at this than I do. He's the one who said, don't have vengeance in your own heart. And I love that thing. I believe that forgiveness actually opens the door for us personally now, where we're dealing with forgiveness of ourselves. Forgiveness opens the door for us to have a fresh understanding of our past, which then allows us to look towards our future with greater hope. To be able to say, that's not who I am anymore because that has been forgiven. It has been washed clean by the blood of Jesus. And now, this is what the promise is that He has spoken over me. The truth is, even back then, that's not who I was. That might have been how I acted. But God has declared something better over me. What I want to do uh, as we end is, I want to hand out some cards to you. Uh, if Jeff and whoever else he has helping can pitch in. Um, these cards are very, very simple cards. And the reason I'm doing this is because, uh, I'll let you guys split them up, uh, because I recognize that for me, sometimes I will put cards into my Bible of things that people have said, and I go back and I look at that again. And I want to make sure I'm remembering it. Now, on these cards, you will see two different sections and then a quote that I have put in there, as well as a website. The two different sections, forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not, um, they have numbers on them. You can ignore the numbers. Somehow in the translation to the copier, they became weird. So instead of just being 1, 2, 3, 4, 1, 2, 3, 4, they became 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, or in some of the cases, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. I don't know why, but they did that. So you can just smile at the numbers, but keep the points. Make sure everybody gets them. These are just kind of ways of reminding you of what forgiveness is about. You can throw these into your Bible or into your car. Forgiveness is remembering how much you've been forgiven. And these are all points that I've given you today, but I want to just kind of go over them. Remembering how much you yourself have already been forgiven. It's relinquishing your need to get even. It's giving up the need that you have to try to balance accounts. It's responding to evil with good. It's saying, yes, they did wrong. They did me wrong. But I'm not going to respond in that way to them. I'm going to forgive. And then number four, I put this on here. I didn't know of a better way to say it. It's repeat that over and over again. Because the truth is we forgive. And then feelings start to rise up again as they do for all of us. And in that moment, we can either say, oh, I guess I never forgave. Or we can say, I did forgive. Enemy, you're trying to bring back all this stuff into my mind and into my heart. You're trying to overwhelm me with all the negative junk but I have already chosen to forgive. So I declare it out loud again. I forgive. And it lets the record be set. And sometimes you have to do that again and again over the years. It wasn't all that long ago in the scope of time now. As you get older, things seem to be closer in time. But it wasn't all that long ago, probably 20 years ago, that something was done that hurt me tremendously. And the, when it happened, it was hard for me to get beyond it. I, I mean, I'm talking about... I don't know how many of you guys ever had this, where you lay in bed, there's not a night that you lay in bed that you don't rehearse all of that again. Again and again and again in your mind. It's what I call chewing the mental cud. I just kept going over and over and over again. And I, I heard God say, you've got to forgive, and I would forgive, and the next day, it would come back again. It took years until I could not only not have negative thoughts, I actually began to have very positive thoughts. Now from day one, I purposed to do right, and I blessed. I blessed that person. I bless them in the name of the Lord. But it took some time 
for that blessing to feel real. Now, it was real from the beginning. I meant it. But I was still hurt. But I meant it. And then as years went by, the feelings began to align themselves with it. So we have to do it again and again. Next on that list is forgiveness is not. It's not saying it didn't really happen. It's not pretending. It's not saying it didn't happen. No, 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 no. It's not saying it didn't matter. You know, a lot of times people have stuff happen, they say, well, it didn't matter, it's okay. No, it's not okay. It did matter. It did hurt. So it's not saying it doesn't matter. Number three, it's not forgetting about it. It's not saying, well, if I forgive, I shouldn't remember it anymore. That's not true. You will still remember it. We still have things that we deal with. And then number four, resuming relations without changes. Just because you forgave somebody doesn't mean you're allowing them to have an abusive relationship with you in an ongoing way. Sometimes you have to set some clear boundaries in order that that relationship be more protected and more caring in nature. So there are people that I love, people that I have forgiven. It doesn't mean that I'm going to trust them in other situations. I've set up boundaries in order to be careful. And then this quote from Andy Stanley, and it says this, In the shadow of my hurt, Forgiveness feels like a decision to reward my enemy. But in the shadow of the cross, forgiveness is merely a gift from undeserving soul, undeserving soul to another. It's a decision from one undeserving soul to another undeserving soul. And then I put a website, and we're going to put it up online for those of you that would rather do it that way, where you can just click on it. You can just click on it. There is a sermon by a guy that's a phenomenal preacher. He really is. I mean, he's like a preacher's preacher. But he does a sermon about rewriting the headlines of your life. It's being able to recognize, although you can't control everything that has happened in your life, although you can't go back with a magic wand and undo what you have done wrong, you can have a choice to edit what your life is going to be like going forward and how you see the end result based upon the promise of God. So we're going to put that website up on our website for you to be able to click on it and be able to see it. Or for those of you that would rather, we put it right here on the card. Would you stand with me? I'm going to ask if you would just to kind of bow your heads for a minute and close your eyes, just between you and the Lord. Just take a moment. And allow the Lord to bring anything to your heart and mind that has been an offense that you have been carrying. Any unforgiveness that you know, even as I was talking, you could feel in your own heart that there's some things that you're just having a really hard time with right now. Maybe it's forgiving yourself. Maybe you just are struggling in your heart because you have done so many things, said so many things. You feel like you've blown it and there is no redemption for you. Maybe for you it's forgiving others because they've hurt you so desperately. They have betrayed you in the deepest ways possible. And you're having a hard time thinking, how can God ask me to forgive them? Or maybe for you it's honestly I'm just mad at God because this just isn't right. It doesn't seem fair. And you've been struggling with that and you know that. But the call of the Lord and I believe the pathway to freedom for all of us when it comes to the offenses that can come in our lives, 
the call of God and the pathway to freedom is forgiveness. It's being able to release it back into God's hands. To say, God, you will do better than I can. You do all things well. God, I don't understand why you let this happen. But I believe that you are good and you're kind. That you didn't lose control. That you're still in charge of the universe. And yes, hard things do happen because sin still is on this earth. Sickness comes. Disease infirmity, even death. But God, that was never your plan. And you are working redemption even through that. That which sin and the enemy has purposed for evil, God, you have purposed for good. I want to give you a moment, just right now, to take a moment and speak the words of forgiveness. Speak them to the Lord. Speak them to your own heart. Say, I forgive. And whisper that. Now, I'm not talking about making a loud declaration. Maybe it's even a spouse who's sitting near you, but there's been offense. And you've tried to just say, oh, I just tried to get over it. But you don't just get over things. You forgive. You forgive where there has been lack. So take a moment and just forgive in the name of the Lord. Say, Father, as you have loved me, so I love. As you have forgiven, so I forgive. I choose not to live as a prison of unforgiveness. Father, in our own hearts, we, every one of us, have concepts, we have ideas of what's right and wrong, what's good and bad. And we judge accordingly. But we don't see the bigger picture. We don't see your plan in the midst of it. That yes, though that which happened was intended for evil, it came out of the nature of sin in the earth. But you are able to redeem even that and cause good to come out of it. Lord, we want to be a people who trust you. We want to be like our Father in heaven who forgave freely a debt that was unpayable. Lord, where we personally have done things that have really messed up our lives. We've made mistakes. We've sinned. We've gotten ourselves in a pickle. And it's just like, it's hard to even imagine how, how can this get any better? How can good come out of this? But Lord, we believe your sacrifice was sufficient. You paid the ultimate price. All of our good works isn't going to pay that debt. If we were good from now until eternity, it still would not be enough. And we choose to accept the forgiveness you offer. And to revel in that grace. To be recipients of the grace. Unlike the elder brother who wanted to earn it, we choose to receive it like the prodigal. And then, Father, for people who have done us wrong, and that's true for every single one of us, people have hurt us, we choose 
to put them in your hands. It's not rewarding them. It's not letting them off. It's giving them to you. And letting you do what is best in your eyes. And trusting you with the outcome. So Father, we choose today to forgive. We choose to forgive. And when tonight as we lay on our bed, those thoughts or those feelings come back, we speak to ourselves again. We forgive. We forgive. And in doing that, we disarm the enemy. We break the lies of vengeance and any sense that we think we're going to get satisfaction out of that. And we speak to our feelings, our emotions, and say, you're going to get in line. might not be today, but you're going to come to this place of freedom in your own soul. Father, we pray for your grace to cover us, that we would know greater and greater freedom in our own hearts and minds every single day. We ask it, Father, in the name of Christ. Amen. Now, next Sunday, I'd encourage you uh, to come. Uh, Dr. Fred Antonelli will be with us. He's going to be speaking on spiritual warfare, but basically he's going to be talking about the battle that we all have in our mind. And then the next Sunday is going to be Bob Santos, who's going to be talking about disappointment, the disappointment we all feel in our lives at things not working out the way we thought they would or should. Now, I want to encourage you to be a part with us for those. And if you know of people who are in that place, I'd encourage you, invite them to come and be a part with us. Have a great rest of your day.